Thank you for listening to Made to Be, a podcast exploring the surprising professional paths of extraordinary women in business. I'm Kristen Berman, co-founder and CEO of Philly Made Creative, a marketing and media production agency. Listen as I facilitate powerful conversations with women who are masters of their crafts, learn about their journeys and just what it took to become who they were made to be. So long story short, they felt safe, they felt cared about, and they felt like they were learning something. And I don't think it gets any better than that, but the safety factor, they, some of them do not want to go home at the end of the day. And I don't mean home to their particular home necessarily, but to their neighborhood. How do they, what does it take to get from here to there? How many buses do they have to take? Uh, what's, the, what's the corner like? Uh, do they have to stay in because their neighborhood is not safe for them to be sitting on the steps? I mean, things like that, um, they don't think about safety here because they know that we will do everything in our power to keep them safe, and we do. So I think that's, um, that's something that gives me great satisfaction. America has been experiencing a shrinking middle class for years. While education provides people a means of developing themselves and finding a place in society, unemployment is still a significant problem. Humanity is on the precipice right now of a great change in the kind of work that is needed to carry on the next generations. Mercy Career and Technical High School is leading Philadelphia's inner city youth to be highly competent, compassionate, contributing members of the global community. This is something that my guests today, Sister Rosemary Heron and Katherine Glatz, take very seriously. These two women are inspiring and mentoring young women and men to take pride in themselves and their accomplishments. Find out how Mercy prepares young people to become who they were made to be. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Made to Be. I'm Kristen Berman, your host, and I'm here today at Mercy Career and Technical High School. I'm here with Sister Rosemary Heron, who's the president here, and Katherine Glatz, who's the vice president. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for being here on Made to Be. Thank you, Kristen. We're delighted to be here. Sister, why don't you let us know a little bit about what it is to be a president of a co-educational Catholic career and technical high school here in Pennsylvania? Well, this is a new model, a relatively new model for us. Uh, we began, I began my career here as the principal of the school and had a vice principal, then two vice principals. Uh, but our board of trustees decided that we really needed to have a different model. So we went to the president-principal model. So the, the principal of the school now is the internal coordinator, as it were. And I am responsible as head of school for establishing relationships. Uh, we are a Catholic school, so we have um, a relationship with the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. But beyond that, we are a Mercy-sponsored school. So we have a relationship with the Sisters of Mercy, who are the governing body of this school. And with outside constituencies, we're a career and technical high school. So it's very, very important for us to have partnerships with industry, with co-op employers, finding out what is relevant in our career paths, what we need to adapt to, what we need to change, what we need to have a new vision about. So all of those outside resources really are important for us to communicate with and to follow their lead in many, many cases so that 
our goal of making our students successful and employable really comes to fruition. Great. And Catherine, can you let us know a bit about what you do here at Mercy as the vice president? So the, uh, this is a new role at Mercy, Vice President for Career and Technical Education. The purpose was to highlight that we are career and technical education. And, and I'm also responsible for the technology. So uh, we want to make sure the programs we offer meet the skills needed in the Philadelphia area. We want to make sure we tightly integrate current technical education with academics so that we are graduating students who will be productive in their futures. So before we get into sort of each of your stories, we've been working together for about a year now. I think, Catherine, you and I first met at Philly Tech Week last April in 2018. And throughout our conversations, we've talked about what the current uh, discourse in America is around trade schools. How does that relate to what Mercy does for their students? So, So Mercy is producing the skills that are needed right now. Um, We have the aging baby boomer population, and there are many jobs needed in the trades in healthcare, and you may not need that college degree. We promote continuous learning, but learning happens many ways. So we believe we're really solving that, helping to solve that problem, and, helping our students be productive with not going to college right away and having a student loan. Our students are poor and we want them to do better in life. So let's go get a job, have the employer help train you for the skills you need to get ahead and go to college when you can afford it and when you're ready. Do you have anything to add to that, sister? Now, I think we we constantly look at investing in this city because 98% of our students are from Philadelphia and our students will remain in Philadelphia. So we want them to be good citizens. We want them to be taxpayers. We want them to vote. But we also want them to be able to support a family, own a home. And the skills that we that are the foundation of our school really make that happen. That our students are employable. And they, as I said, will remain here. So we want to, in effect, uh, rebuild the middle class because the middle class is the backbone of the church. It's the backbone of our city and our country. And we need to invest in them. And I think we as a school community do exactly that. Can you let us know a little bit about the different career and technical education programs that you have here? So Mercy Mercy currently has seven programs. We have the building trades, we have business, advertising, art and web design, computer service technician, health occupations, cosmetology, and culinary and pastry arts. And I mean, these sound like (laughs) some of the trades that we had when I was in high school. Are they, how have you seen the job markets and what is the demand like for each of those trades? And and how is it that you're preparing some of these students for that, for that career? So the, the area where we see the most job growth is the building trades and health occupations, Um, computer service technician, I think it's also a big growth area. 
it's a little harder to get 17-year-olds out there right now. I think people worry about having somebody young working on their systems, but these kids are very competent. Um, the building trades is a, is a big area. We get calls. I get a call a couple times a week looking to hire full-time. We want your graduates. Can you send it to your alums? And we do all that. And uh, we, we try to encourage, as I said, to get our students to go to work. Even health occupations, they're graduating as nurse aides, the only high school in the city that does that. And there's a very much a critical need for nurse aides today. And it's a stepping stone because many of our students will continue to become an RN, uh, eventually a BSN. And as I said, we want to see that happen. So they are leaving here where they can put these skills to use and uh, earn some money and continue to learn. And sister, this is a Catholic co-educational high school. How do you see that the, mer- that the mercy tradition and faith is implemented into the education here? How is that a part of the students' lives? Well, I think as Sisters of Mercy, one of our first ministries was vocational education, ironically, in Ireland. And um, it was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And uh, young people were coming in from the fields with no skills. The sisters taught them skills, opened up an employment agency, and had them employed. So I think we're doing that today. Uh, Vocational education, I think, or career and technical education, as as we want to call it today, um, is a very respectful kind of employment. You are using your skills and uh, your abilities to make something you can actually see. And I think there's great satisfaction in that. Um, And I can remember going into uh, an an electricity class years and years ago, and Ohm's Law was on the board. And I looked at it, and I think I have a fairly good education. And I looked at Ohm's Law, and I thought, this is really difficult. And the students who were in front of me said, oh, sister, it's really easy. And I thought, it's easy for you. It would not be easy for me. So we constantly test are our career paths the right paths to make them employable. So we have tweaked them over the years. We have eliminated some. We're looking um, to see what is needed now beyond what we're offering. So we have to constantly be on the move. But these types of service occupations, if you wish to call them that, are in need. Um, we have more, as Catherine was talking about the career paths, we have more job offers than we have students to accept them. So the need is there and we are fulfilling this need. And I think it's a very respectful, dignified type of work. Um, My youngest brother has an HVAC business and he constantly talks about himself as being a blue collar worker. And I said, be proud of that. Be proud of that because he is a very, very successful businessman and our students can be the same. Catherine, do you have anything to add to that? I think um, one thing when Sister talked about where uh, the mercy began, that focus there was helping the women in Ireland, the young girls, so that they could get a job and earn some money and take care of themselves. So 
And that is, this school is most like what the founders of the Sisters of Mercy envision. And what year around. was that approximately? Was, uh, 1832. 1832. <laughs> yes. So in 1832, the Sisters of Mercy were empowering women in the skills that they needed to earn money for their family. And today, now we empower women and young men. And, um, and I'd like to think all of our career paths lead to a positive outcome for them. Uh, we like to see more women go into the building trades. I know we had a graduate last year. She was awesome. And I kept trying to talk her to go to a union or something. She did decide to continue her education. But she was one of our best building trades persons that we have. And we've had young men in cause who have done well, too. Um, and uh, so they're the non-traditional gender in a program. And we try to promote that. Even, even in the tech field, I always tell, hey, ladies, Let's go to the tech field. There's lots of room for growth for you. That's still rather male-oriented, and you can do very well, too. They, I think some of them believe they don't have the smarts to do it, but they do. So we try to encourage that. And one other thing I would add, I think, in every one of our career paths, because of that mercy piece to it, um, that is compassion. Mm -hmm. And competence and compassion, are that, that's our name. Mercy is competence and compassion. And I think if we can graduate young men and women of mercy that have those two qualities, the skills that they learned in their particular career path, but that innate sensitivity, empathy, uh, what does the client need? What, what can we do to serve them? And to be confident enough that I have the competence to do it, that's a great combination. And I think that's something that's a, it's a value added that we have in this school. Catherine, I know that your background is in mathematics and engineering. Can you, can you explain what it was like growing up and how you got into this? I feel like back when you went to school, many women weren't going into those fields. And you spent a good part of your career as an engineer at Lockheed Martin. So what was your childhood like and, and what has sort of led your path to working here to contribute back to students? Let me set the record straight. It was not many, many years ago. <laughs> anyway, uh, growing up, well, I, I remember uh, the man, our first man on the moon. And that really struck me because at that point I was going to be an astronaut. And but when I went to high school, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. I went into math because I liked numbers and I did not want to read a lot of English papers and grade them. I'll, I'll be honest there. And um, my, my sights were set to teach a college prep math, which I did for uh, seven years. And um, I always had the question from students, why do I need to learn this? So GE was hiring at the time, and my father was after me to go try this. So I said, all right, let me, let me go try it. And I can come back and say to the students, this is why you need to learn this. So, you know, I ended up there longer than I ever expected uh, because I always had intended to go back to education. And I, heard, I learned about Mercy. This is the best kept secret in the city. I went to high school in the city. I never knew of this place. So somebody told me about it. And uh, I thought they were looking for a math teacher. Uh, but I came down for the interview, and they, they wanted me to teach business. And I said, listen, I never had typing. I never had shorthand. And my, my jobs at uh, GE, eventually Lockheed Martin, were um, systems engineering, 
program management. It's cool. We did a lot of cool things. And uh, so I thought, what, what am I going to teach in business? But I took the job, and uh, I had an awesome administrative assistant, so I modeled the business program after the skills she had because I thought if my students graduated with those skills, they would always have a job. And, and this was for the young men, too. They all learned that way. And uh, I loved teaching in the business area. But, and then I saw administration openings coming, so I decided to throw my hat in and, and get into the administration of the school. And what was it like when you were at GE, now Lockheed Martin, at that time? So this is where I say the, uh, there weren't a lot of men in, or women in the uh, engineering world. There, there were some, but not a whole lot. There were many times I'd go to the meetings, and I was the only female there. I always told the men, you don't have to stand up. Sometimes they, one, one time they did to uh, mess with me. Um, but it was, it was a great experience. I, but some of my best mentors were the men I worked with. And I, I learned a lot from them. And they also saw the need to bring more women into the engineering world. And they did actively recruit that way. And uh, so as I was leaving there, I, had more, I saw more and more women coming into the engineering world. And... You know, it's just a whole different perspective on how you do things. And we, as I said, we did some cool work together. The last project I led, the top three people in the project were women. And we took what an idea on a napkin to over tens of thousand users today. What, what That's idea all is I that? can say. Uh. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. <laughs> it. It was a web-based program management before Google. We were doing stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. It was very cool. Wow. And and what was your childhood like growing up? What led you to, other than not wanting to grade English papers, what led you to to that path? Um, let's see. I, I grew up, I was one of six. Um, my father, he was Mathurian. He was a finance guy. Our mom was a seamstress, so we learned how to sew in the, her sewing room self-taught and then she taught us and my parents were big on high school education you have to get a good high school education so they put all of us in good schools and then after that it was up to us to further our education I will say the boys had to go to college the girls didn't have to I knew I wanted to so my parents encouraged it I have a twin sister she didn't want to they didn't push it. They, she did two years of college. and um, But my father, I guess, really, because when I said I wanted to be a teacher, he kept saying, don't you want to try something else? Don't you want to try something else? And um, I really had the teaching bug. I still do. And as I said, he was happy to see me go to GE because he had worked there at one point himself. Um, but it really helped me, I think, to become a better teacher because now I was able to say to them, here's why you need to know this. And you had mentioned earlier that you had wanted to be an astronaut when you grew I up. I did. What, what changed for you there? Um, I guess it was more, I, I wanted to work with the young people. And I knew I wanted high school. Uh, I didn't want the younger students. I felt I could talk better with the young people than the little kids and I wanted to be able to have a two-way conversation. I thought I could have that with uh, high school-age students. So I think it was that. Uh, the I don't know. 
you know, why I didn't go pursue and, you know, go to the military and become an astronaut. I, I just thought teaching was calling more to me, so I went down that path. And sister, <laughs> we haven't talked about your, your no, childhood much. No, we haven't. Um, well, I'm a Philly kid. I was born in South Philadelphia. I grew up in Southwest. I'm the oldest of eight children. And I think similar to Catherine in regards to education, uh, the irony in, in my family, my mother was a secretary. was a very good student. My father was a very bright man, but did not have the education behind him, uh, but appreciated education. He was first-generation American. So he realized that education was the way out. And he was an upholsterer by trade, so I guess that trade piece was part of it. And um, then during the Depression, no one was buying furniture, so he became a milkman. (laughs) And that's where he met my mother. Um, And then he went back to that. He became an interior decorator, and he was was the highest paid salesperson um, for the furniture company uh, where he worked. And we had a comfortable childhood. I mean, we grew up in row houses and uh, the typical Philadelphia neighborhood. And I think it was a comfortable existence for us. But education was really important. And um, when I graduated, when I was a senior in high school, I guess I was thinking, okay, now what do I do? I worked all through high school. So I had some money. I liked the idea of having money. And, um, but I thought at that time, really what girls did, what my friends were all doing, were either becoming teachers, becoming nurses, or working for Bell Telephone, kind of. And I thought the only attraction, I have two sisters who are nurses, but the only attraction to me about nursing were the little white hats. And since that has gone away, I'd really be in a world of hurt today. But um, so teaching was what I was thinking of doing. And then um, at the after I graduated, I entered the Sisters of Mercy. And teaching, nursing, and social work were what we as a community did. But the thing that that the Sisters of Mercy did was invested in each of us as young sisters. I mean, I was very young. I was I taught for, I guess, 10, 10 or 12 years. And then I became a principal. And I had very good mentors, other Sisters of Mercy, other women, who really mentored me all the way along. Because I was, when I started to teach, I, I was 21. I, I was in charge of everything in the school that made money. At 21 years old. At 21 years old. And, but I didn't even know that the dollar bills all had to face the same way, you know. But someone taught me and taught me how to be a teacher, how to manage a classroom, what was important for the students to learn. And more importantly, I think, the environment that we created. And I think women can do that. Women can create an environment um, that is, uh, it's not to say that men aren't nurturing, but... I think we we come at things differently. And I think as religious women in this country, I mean, we have been leaders. We have been leaders in education. We have been leaders in healthcare, And um, it's a legacy that that I have received. So I think uh, being the uh, being a sister of mercy has allowed um, me to become a leader, I guess. Now, I've never asked you this question, (laughs) but. What was it that led you to becoming a Sister of Mercy? How did you make that decision for yourself? 
Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I guess I was, uh, when I went to um, two Catholic high schools, West Catholic and Archbishop Prendergast, and the Sisters of Mercy that I met in those high schools, in the day, there were a variety of religious communities. The Sisters of Mercy, to me, were different. They were friendly. They were outgoing. They were young. Uh, they rolled with us. And I thought they were normal. And <laughs> I, that's, I think, in, in grade school, I love the sisters who taught me in grade school, but I was, um, I was afraid of them. The Sisters of Mercy, I was never afraid of. And there was one sister in particular. I was a history major undergrad, um, but it was my U.S. history teacher that I think made the biggest impression on me and took time, took time for the girls in my class. And that was something that I never experienced before. So I think that was the initial attraction. You're listening to Made to Be, a podcast featuring extraordinary women in business produced by Philly Made Creative. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you believe you or somebody you know should be featured as a guest, please email made to be at phillymadecreative.com. You know, during this conversation, you both have talked so much about mentorship and how mentors have played a role in both of your lives in making those decisions and, and teaching you different ways about business or uh, helping you along your path in life. How is it that you are doing that, obviously, through being leaders at this school, but how do you find the motivation and what are some things that you do to mentor young students today? One one of my jobs at Mercy that I... Um, I guess was handed to me, um, is the co-op program. And it's finding jobs for our seniors. I really enjoy doing that because I like working with the employers and, and convincing them that they should hire our students. And then I really like working with our students to teach them how to be a good employee. And I find great satisfaction with that. And I tell you, every time I think I have everything figured out, the young people throw me another curveball, and I I learn something new. You're I'm a I like to think I'm a continuous learner from these kids. You know you you never know they always throw something at you, and and I get a chance to mentor them that way. So if they're having a hard time, I I really try to work them through it and teach them how they can handle it before I actually have to step in and talk to the employer, and I really find that satisfying. And I hear great, great kudos about how well our students do out there. I think also um, something that is very important to the Sisters of Mercy, we have what we call the critical concerns, and one of which is the empowerment of women. So having women in administration, three of the four administrators of the school are women. Half of our faculty are Men and you know, I mean, it's it's a mixed faculty, which is good. It's it's good. It's wonderful to have good male role models for our male students. But I think also with the the the, um, the female aspect of our of our um, faculty and staff, I mean, they are very. Uh, they have taken the mercy way, as as it were. I mean, something as difficult as a tu- tuition collection. Uh, the person who does that really tries to work with 
uh, the parents who are struggling uh, to make ends meet. And I think also the way we model for our faculty and for our students is, um, is something that we can control. And I think that's a very good, I mean, we, we control our own destiny in this school. We don't have the red tape that a school district has or even a, a system of schools has. We're, we're, we're independent here. Uh, we have the mercy charism, the mercy spirit overall, and we certainly have to follow guidelines, Harrisburg, et cetera, et cetera. But when, a student, when we're small enough to be a real community here, and I think being able to have your door open, I mean, we can't be available 24-7, but students know and faculty members know if they need us, we're here. I mean, maybe not this minute, but half an hour from now or at the end of the day, something like that. And I think that uh, that is what women want to do. I think women want to be connectors and not in isolation or not in a silo, but how do we connect with each other and build relationships? It's all about relationships. In a Catholic school, in the mercy tradition, primarily it's a relationship with God, but what is our that we try to nurture and develop in our students and in, in ourselves, really. But amongst ourselves, as faculty, as staff, how do we connect with each other? That's really critical because that brings peace to the world <laughs> in, the ultimate, in, in the ultimate sense. But it begins with really having positive, good, nurturing relationships at this level. What are some of the challenges, as you, you said, three out of the four administrators here are women. What are some of the challenges of being a woman in a leadership role like this, uh, leading a co-educational career and technical school? Well, I think for students coming from grade schools uh, to our school as freshmen, many of the administrators are, are female on the elementary level. And I guess they don't really... I don't know if they notice a difference, you know, so I don't know that that would be a challenge that I would think would be a foremost challenge for me. I think um, being able to relate to young women and trying to think back, okay, when I was a teenager, you know, what were some of the problems? I mean, you know, what was your relationship with your mother? You know, all these kinds of things that teenage girls bring. Teenage boys bring something else, but we have such good role models. Our dean of students is a counselor by profession and male. So he's a great advocate for, for all of our students. But I mean, it's something that um, I think our male students can, can look to. In our career paths, we have many male teachers in our career paths. And they become mentors for the young, for the young men here. So I think it's looking at them, looking at providing a safe environment for them here. What does that mean? Safety is primary. Uh, respect. I mean, I, I speak to you with respect. I expect you to be speaking back to me with respect. And sometimes it's just calling them to that. Um, but I, I wouldn't, I guess I, having four brothers, maybe the male teenager doesn't intimidate me. Um, because I had to have survival skills as, as a young person. And Catherine had brothers too. So I think we, we have, have that background that, that does help us with this. Catherine, has there, have you experienced any challenges being a woman leading a co-ed 
uh, trade school, a career in trade school? I have not really experienced too many challenges. I guess part of um, having that GE Lockheed Martin experience, I grew some, th- I grew some thick skin because there were days where I would get beat up at a design review and you had to learn they weren't yelling at you, but maybe your homework wasn't correct. So I had to learn to you know, take the personal out of it and realize I need to do my work better. And it did make me better. There was one guy in particular, and when he retired, I told his wife, I said, I really was proud to work with him um, because I, I, we used to worry, we, we would say we got reesed by him. And I said, I noticed that if you didn't get yelled at, he didn't have any time for you. And when the, he did yell at you, he had time for you and he wanted to make you better. And I kind of, I use that here when I'm mentoring. I tell the kids, if we didn't care about you, we wouldn't be having this meeting right now. So I, I use that to handle my challenges here as well. And um, it's worked so far, I think. And many of your students are inner city in in, in Philadelphia in sort of some lower income neighborhoods. What is it that Mercy provides for those students and how do you find fulfillment? I think uh, some of the neighborhoods from which our our students draw are are challenging neighborhoods. And I think when they come here, uh, well, I guess going back to when we were accredited by Middle States for the first time, the Middle States team could not understand the daily average attendance here because it is so good. And they said, why do the students come? And I said, well, why don't you ask them why they come? So long story short, they felt safe, they felt cared about, and they felt like they were learning something. And I don't think it gets any better than that, but the safety factor, they some of them do not want to go home at the end of the day. And I don't mean home to their particular home, necessarily, but to their neighborhood. How do they, what does it take to get from here to there? How many buses do they have to take? Uh, what's, the, what's the corner like? Uh, do they have to stay in because their neighborhood is not safe for them to be sitting out in the steps? I mean, things like that. Um, they don't think about safety here because they know that we will do everything in our power to keep them safe, and we do. So I think that's... Um, that's something that gives me great satisfaction. I mean, they're teenagers. So, you know, they make some good choices, they make some bad choices, but the whole environment of safety and care, just as Catherine said, when we call them to something, what we're saying is you're better than this. You can do better than this, you are better than this. So rise up and be your best. And I think when you put that on young people, they rise to the occasion because it's, it's there. I guess the biggest thing for me, we, we try to teach empathy, and I try to practice it because I really try to understand where are they coming from because I didn't, I didn't have their experience growing up. I mean, we, we were middle class. At one point, my father was unemployed. 
but you know we we were fine and so i'm really trying to understand where do they come from and as i said we work on especially our business program with the design thinking a whole key component of that is the empathy and learning what your customer needs so you deliver the right product so i really try to work on understanding where they come from before i deal with the problem it sounds like, and and you've mentioned that design thinking is a core part of your business program, and I believe you're rolling that out into all of the other programs as well. It sounds like you practice that here for your students, who are your customers, right? How how has that how has that impacted your service for the students? I think you have to understand the culture the culture of this school and the culture of the students' neighborhoods because Philadelphia is a unique, <laughs> it's a unique city. Um, it's the poorest, largest city in the country right now. But beyond that, it's also every six or eight blocks is another culture. So you have to understand that. And you can have all the strategies in the world, but I think the slogan is culture eats strategies for breakfast or something. And you have to understand where these students are coming from. And as Catherine said, it, it was not my experience. But I can remember a student years ago saying, you have no idea what my life is like. And I had to agree with her. I, I don't know what your life is like. But what I want to do is create an environment here that is healthy for you, that is safe, that gives you the ability to learn and to be to become something that you can be proud of and your family can be proud of and we can be proud of. And that's what we do. But I think trying to understand where they come from, we, we have to do that. We have to try to make as many strides as possible in that direction. But it's, uh, that's a challenge. That's a big challenge. And I think the media, social media, uh, the country itself, in a sense of you know, blatant disrespect for others and others' opinions. Um, you can disagree, and that's that's using your intelligence and and being critical thinkers. But do you show respect to the person who thinks differently, who looks differently, who um, might have different beliefs? All of that is something that is important for us to to um, model here, to give an example of and to develop in our students. Because again, this is the world that they will be living in. Everybody doesn't look like me. Everybody doesn't look like you. Um, but we can be friends and we can tolerate each other and respect each other. I, I really love when I'm here at Mercy because it feels like family. You know, we've asked, asked some students in the past, what is Mercy to you? And so many of them have said, Mercy is home, Mercy is family, Mer Mercy is safe. What are those things for you that you think mercy is and, and how do you see your role impacting that outside of what you've already said, which is creating that safe environment? But what are some of those specific things that you're doing that, that you're implementing? Like Catherine, technology, you have had a huge initiative and in bringing some high class technology to the school. How, can you connect that, the technology aspect of it to those pieces of the culture of Mercy? So a couple things um, besides the technology, which I'll get to. Uh, it's the 
we, we take care of the students' needs. Like, we'll find out what's going on and get something to the student. Like, maybe they need new shoes or they need a new uniform. And we, and we try to really work to teach our kids empathy. And this is where our virtual reality lab has come in handy because we're able now, when we talk about what's happening in a war-torn country, we can take our kids on a virtual reality excursion to meet another student or person their age to see what they're going through. And that empathy really starts to kick in. And that's been huge here for us because it really, you start to to see the light bulb go off. It's, it's a lot different than talking about it in class, but when you feel like you're in the rice paddy with this little boy, it's, it's very different to the student. So you know, we try to get them to, to, uh, to learn that. Like I always say to them, here's what you're entitled to, a good education, but you have to earn it. You know, it's not going to be handed to you. So we want them to, to understand that and to really feel good when they make that accomplishment. You know, they, they get their goal. And they feel good about themselves. It wasn't handed to you. You worked for it. And so tech, talking, meeting people, we try to provide that to the students or even taking them on our service trip. We, when, every year we go away, we go to a place that's been uh, impacted by a natural disaster. And sometimes these kids might be working in a home that's been flooded and they're pulling out the drywall and the home could be better than where they live, but they leave feeling so good about what they did for that person. And so it's being able to even give experiences like that. We like experiential learning. You really do learn from it. I would agree with that. And that service trip yeah. piece was something that I was going to bring up too, because um, we have gone to the Gulf area. We've gone to Western Pennsylvania. We've gone to northern New Jersey with Hurricane Sandy, and then we've gone to Lumberton, North Carolina for the last three years. And what everyone says about our students, well, anybody who came to help the survivors, um, they came with good hearts. Our students come with good hearts and skills, <laughs> so they can actually do something. And I think as teenagers, I was, the, I was this way. It was all about me. It was all about me. And I think teenagers can be... Um, you know, self-centered in many, many ways. But when they meet families, as Catherine said, who have lost everything, then the empathy kicks in. Their very best selves kick in. And I think these are life-altering experiences for them. That stays with them. When we have graduates who, as students, were part of our service trip, come back, take a week's vacation, and come back to be chaperones, you know that that has affected them. And that's a wonderful thing for us to see. And for, I guess, across the board, not just that service trip, but when graduates come back, as teachers, you don't always get the satisfaction of hearing, oh, the pearls of wisdom that flowed from your lips. I mean, it was so wonderful. We don't hear that. Teachers don't hear that. But the scores and scores of graduates who come back and thank us in either directly or indirectly for, for what they have achieved. That, that reinforces 
are realizing that we're doing a good job here. <laughs> we constantly have to keep doing a better job. But I think it's funny because when many of them come back, they'll, they'll see a freshman doing this or so. Oh, we need to talk to them. That's not the mercy way. That's not the mercy way. We have, and sometimes hearing it from people more their own age makes an impact on our, our existing students. But I think those things, um, they're intangible in so many ways. But it's, it, it really is, it's, it's, a, it's a job. It's more than a job. It's, it's a ministry. And it's something that I value. And I think everyone in this building values every single teacher and staff person. Uh, they're not here because of the high salaries they receive. Um, teaching in any school at any level is not easy these days, but they're here because they know they make a difference. And what we're hoping is our students, when they leave us, will make a difference in their world. So much of what, <clears throat> excuse me, so much of what you put into this and into your students seems like you said in service it's a ministry how do you find your professionalism or your uh, your work ethic is received by the students do you think that they see this and and really take that on and model that in their co-ops what what has been some of that feedback i hope so <laughs> um i think they do see it as sister said, you may not hear about it right away, but they'll come back later and and talk about it. And uh, I think we have to, as a faculty, model for our students because they may not see it other places. If we're treating each other nicely, they'll treat each other nicely. And and trying to, and I always talk to them about you're in their workforce and they're not your age. You know, in fact, there's many generations there and that we try to talk about how you might react with somebody who is a baby boomer versus somebody who's only a couple years older than you. So we try to teach those uh, ideas to them and model them here so that it they do carry it with them. And I think going along with what Catherine said, just even the faculty and staff, we have teachers who, um, our senior teacher is here 50 years this year. We have first-year teachers, and we have everyone in between. So there, there are age groups within our faculty and staff that we have to adjust to. I mean, the X's and the Y's and the Z generations and the silent generation and the baby boomers. And uh, what do we have, what values do we bring to the workplace? And how do we have to relate to each other? I think that's a modeling, too. And uh, it's the real world. Uh, we're diverse in this school in, in every way possible. But I think in the essence of who we are and what we hope to be, we are very much in line with each other in a sense of um, creating really an environment here that is respectful, that is work-oriented, uh, that's service-oriented, and that you have a responsibility to give back. And what form does that take? And I think our students respond to that. What does that take each day to commit to that? I mean, you know, being so selfless and giving giving so much of yourself, do you ever are you ever challenged by 
wanting something else or, or looking somewhere else? Or is it, is it easy for you and natural for you to just get up every day and, and come here to really support your faculty and your students? I can truly say that I always look to do something different, whether it's at Mercy or somewhere else, just because I like, I, like I said, I like to um, change things. And I, like, I think we have to teach our students differently today than when we were in school because of tech. That really enables us to do it. So I'm always looking for new ideas and how do we bring them to fruition. Um, even when I was in the classroom, I never taught the same thing the next year because I would get bored with it. So um, to me, change is good. And I look around to see, you know, what's my next career move? Uh, we always look a little bit ahead there. Uh, who just retired from 60 Minutes? What's oh, it was last night I heard uh, it, but I... I forget his name now, but he said, you know, you want to get out um, while the going's good, you know, it's not too late, and you have energies to go do other things. See, I think about that, I'll be honest. Um, but I do, I do enjoy coming here, and I absolutely love seeing how well our students do. You can't beat that. And um, when they come back, because they, they'll stay connected, and they'll come back and see you, and you just you feel so good about it. I tell the young teachers that. And that's the big difference between the business world. You did something good, they give you a reward the next month, some money. I said, uh, education, you might not get that reward for five or ten years, but it will come back to you. And I think just uh, the creativity and the idea of trying something new, that's what you can do in a private school, private independent school. And when I was the principal, I or we said it, and, and I think as the president, I've continued to say it, if it's legal and moral and we can afford it, let's try it. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, well, maybe the timing wasn't the appropriate timing or maybe it just wasn't, you know, really thought out well enough. But it's okay, you know, because we really, we control what happens here. And I think the lack of red tape is really freeing for a lot of teachers and potential employers and co-op employers when they come in and talk to us and we can say well the decisions are made around the board of trustees table or the administrative table they say oh that's the best thing i've heard all day because they can deal with us and we can tweak things and make them work so and then when we look at trends in education and say, all right, there's a weak, there are weaknesses here. All right, well, what do we do? How do we uh, make some changes in the curriculum to adjust to that? We, we know it. What do we do about it? How do we challenge them? We know the abilities of our students. How do we take them to the next step and stretch them? So it's something that as curriculum committees, as administration, as individual teachers, we can make suggestions to each other, always for the same goal. How can we do better for our students? So what does the next phase of development look like for each of you in your growth? Whoa. <laughs> in my growth, uh, you know, we look to where we want to take Mercy as uh, we want a new building. Now, 
my vision, the sister gets worried when I say this. Like I said, education is different. And you know, I'd like to see our next school be much more open, even more techy than what we have today, where kids are learning differently. And we have coaches instead of teachers. Because like, if you, you go around and ask our students who learned something on YouTube, they've all learned something because it's been of interest to them. So as coaches, we inspire them. And then they say, ah, let me go out and find more. And we still are graduating them at the right grade level, at the right ma uh, reading level for, for uh, math, for reading and math. And, and they learn to continue to learn. And so I, I see a very different uh, future if I'm part of that to make it happen. Plan B I'm in my Prius, and I'm driving across country seeing everybody I know. <laughs> How about you, sister? <laughs> Not too soon, Catherine. <laughs> now, I think we're, we're in a stage right now of uh, what do we do? I think our programs are as good as they've ever been. Our outcomes are excellent. We would like to have more students in this school than we have right now. And the facility will, will not accommodate that. So we're really looking at studying different options. We are in two old buildings that have served us well. The location of the school a mile from Kelly Drive is very, very attractive. The transportation of allowing our students to get here from every neighborhood of the city is a wonderful thing. Can we replicate all those positives in another area of the city? I mean, we. It's an urban mission, so we are not leaving the city. This is where we are needed. This is uh, where we will stay. But are there other options for us to look at building new, looking at some existing facility and retrofitting it uh, to our needs? As Catherine said, the classroom model of classes of schools when we went to school is is broken, is outdated. It, it doesn't work anymore. So you need big spaces which this particular building will not allow us to do. So we're, um, we're in a process of, of looking at all of our options. But again, it's valuing this type of education. And there is more of an appreciation for it now than ever before. I think that it was looked upon pejoratively in the past. Oh, you would go to a trade school. Oh, you poor thing. Um, not a college preparatory school. As we have both said, we don't want their education to stop here at graduation. What form does it take, though? And, you know, no such thing as a poor plumber. <laughs> they, they can make a very, very good livelihood. And we want as many students to be taking advantage of what excellent programs we have to offer and the programs that we envision for the future. So what space do we need to, let, uh, to allow that to happen? So this is a podcast about women in business, and you two, while in education, are still very much women in business. How do you, uh, how are you looking to the outside business community to support what Mercy's vision for the future of education is? I like to say that we are grooming the employers in Philadelphia, future employees. And part of my vision is they need to get in the game with us earlier than co-op. 
So I'd like to be engaging them as and meeting our students as early as, as grade nine. And I'd like to see the non-traditional role models. You know, if I can find a young woman who's in construction, I want her to come in so we can empower our young women to, to realize this is a, a good field for you. My early job, my first math teaching job was the school had gone co-ed and the girls weren't staying in higher level math. So they said, well, we'll bring in a, uh, a female math teacher. So I got the job now. I also had no voice when I had the interview. So I said, that I got the job because I didn't talk back. So. <laughs> I will disagree with them. But anyway, but that was, you know, they, they saw that. So having the right kind of um, um, mentorship. So in the city... I tell the employers, you're going to hire our students sometime, so help us train them now. You know, what are those skills that you want to see, and how can we instill them in our students? And then you get first dibs when they graduate. You know, come and interview them and offer them a job. In each of our career paths, we have occupational advisory councils, which is mandated by the Commonwealth. And those occupational advisory councils are really invaluable to us because they tell us what the new code is. They uh, supply materials sometimes. They they tell us the direction that the curriculum should be going. Uh, they're guest speakers. They take us on field trips, that type of thing. So they are invaluable, and we need to keep them in place so that we are current. But there's another level, and that's what Catherine was alluding to, and it's the decision makers in all of these businesses. Where do you want your business to be in five to 10 years. This is your vision. Will help us to get employees that will take you there because it has to be a partnership. We can't, we can't have a school like this without partners. And who are the stakeholders here? We have generous, generous benefactors who help us. And we need to continue to have them, of course. But who are the decision makers in all of the industries and all the career paths that we presently have and hope to have in the future? And then we will have a workforce in this city that will rebuild this city and make it the city that it can be in the future. Not the poorest, largest city in the country, but the most energized, the most work-oriented, and most successful in the sense of successful young people being able to to live, survive, enjoy life in this city. It's a great city. It's old, it, it has wonderful history, but it certainly has its challenges. And uh, we're, I think, equal to the task of facing those challenges and bringing them into the future. Hmm. I, read, I read that the city's poverty level right now is at 26%, which is, I believe, the highest of the top 10 cities in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And you are contributing to lowering and reducing that percentage? Some of the jobs that our students can walk into will help them get to that middle class. I mean, some of the the building trades in particular, uh, they can go if they uh, show up with a good work ethic and are willing to learn, they can move up the ladder there. Literally, Literally and figurative, <laughs> and, and earn a really good living to get themselves to the middle class. And even in the health occupations area, um, even good business skills, everything we do here, it's an opportunity for our kids to get ahead 
and become middle-class citizens. And so many of the skills that, that they are learning here, they're transferable skills. So there could be one career path that they're thinking of as a high school student, and then you'd say, okay, well, that will prepare me for this other career path that possibly never existed when I was a freshman in high school, but now exists, and I have those skills to take me there. Design thinking, creative problem solving, all those things that have to be a part of every curriculum today will take them there. The traditional uh, classical subjects are still important to develop that whole human side of, of all of us. Um, but it, it can't stay there because, you know, philosophy and all those higher level courses are wonderful, but can you earn a living? <laughs> and that's, we have to be pragmatic. We have to be practical about this and say, what is an employable skill that I have right now? And then I'll have the leisure to be able to do the fine arts and all of that kind of thing. What is the last piece of advice you would like to give women in business, either about leadership or how they can support their communities? I think women in leadership have a wonderful opportunity. I think there's a new appreciation for all the gifts that we bring to the workplace that um, might have been overlooked in the past. And you see, I mean, I guess I can relate to religious women. I mean, when the, um, the women's movement started, I mean, we had sisters who were the CEOs of our health systems. We had sisters who were the presidents of universities. So we did this way back when. So we need to be the developers of other women and say, yes, you have these skills. Maybe a little fine tuning here, a little fine tuning there, but don't let anyone intimidate you. Uh, the country needs you. You know, our city needs you. Education needs you. The world needs you. And you have gifts to offer. So don't let anyone put you down. You can do it. And we have done it. I would just like to add that I hope our female students do leave here knowing they can do whatever they put their mind to. And they have seen good role modeling at Mercy and just go put it into action. Actions, not words. Great. Sister Catherine, thank you so much for being on Made to Beat. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure for us as well. Made to Be is a production of Philly Made Creative. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you like this episode, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or Anchor, and stay tuned for future episodes.